Um, but Numbers 14, we're jumping kind of into the middle of a story. Uh, Moses, who God has called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into freedom and take them into a land called Canaan. Well, they went out and spied the land. He sent 12 spies to spy out the land to see what it looked like. And they came back and they all agreed that it was an amazing place. But 10 of them said, it's impossible for us to take it because there are giants there. We just, we'll just get, we'll get destroyed. But two of them had a great report. They said, hey, if the Lord has called us to do this, then we're well able to do it. And uh, because, of the, because of the reaction of the 10, because of their negative report, the entire community is, is starting to act really weird. And uh, we pick up in Numbers chapter 14, their reaction. It says that night, verse one, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Watch the response of Moses and Aaron. The Bible says they fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. They fell face down. Have you ever been to a place and you're dealing with people, you just got tired of it and you just wanted to fall on the floor? Just wanted to hide. Have you ever just been dealing with your kids and you've been saying the same thing over and over and over again and you just wanted to go run and hide? Like, nobody's listening to me. Nobody is listening. Nobody's responded to my leadership. Nobody, and you just wanted to fall on the floor just in disgust, just, just wanting to quit and give up. Has anybody ever felt like that relationally? Like, I'm tired of dealing with difficult people. And Moses and Aaron got to this point. And uh, man, this is a real breaking point in their leadership. This is a real breaking point in their following of God. The Bible teaches us that Moses and Aaron did not enter in to the promised land, mainly because they failed at their ability to deal with difficult people. And they got so upset at these people that they eventually lost their cool and misrepresented God in front of the people and they weren't able to go into the promised land. I just wanna tell you this morning that God doesn't wanna remove every difficult situation and every difficult person from your life. He actually wants to teach you how to deal with difficult people. So today we're gonna to talk about how to continue in our relationships with difficult people because we're gonna to get to a point today where we're talking about how, how God wants us to prioritize relationships. In other words, how much access do we give certain people into our lives is really important. And I think that if we learn how to deal with difficult people, we'll find out that problem people are not a frustration to our purpose. Problem people are actually the thing that could elevate us into our purpose. Just ask Jesus. Jesus called Judas, his betrayer, a friend, and he told Peter to get behind him because he was acting like Satan. I just want you to know, if you can understand the relationships that are in your life, and if you can learn how to deal with difficult people, they don't have to stop your calling. They could actually elevate you and push you right into the calling that God has for you. So let's talk about it today. And I think this is gonna really, really help you in your relationships. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this opportunity to be here. Thank you for blessing us with an incredible community of believers. We love you. Thank you for your presence in this room. Speak to us clearly so that we would be changed for your glory in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. So we're gonna talk about dealing with difficult people because this is the truth. 
Every relationship in your life is nurturing uh, a strength or a weakness in you. Every relationship you have is nurturing a strength or a weakness in you. And sometimes it's the relationships with people that are easy that are nurturing your weaknesses. Because it's the easy people that allow you to stay where you are and don't challenge you to do any real soul searching, any digging in your life, to really come to any change in your life. But it's the difficult people in your life that really cause you to dig a little bit deeper to find out who you really are, to find out what God's real call on your life is, to really dig in so that you can become everything that God has called you to become. And the Bible teaches us in Judges chapter three, matter of fact, when, when God had really given his people some freedom, the Bible teaches us in Judges three that he left around them different armies so that they would know how to fight. So in other words, when he brought him into an incredible place, he didn't remove all of the difficulties or limitations. He actually surrounded them by relational limitations so that they would learn how to fight. And some of us want God to just remove all the problems in our lives. And God is like, no, I gotta leave problems and problem people around you because I need you to learn how to fight. Is anybody in the room saying, God's really then, God is really teaching me how to fight. He got me surrounded. <laughs> but Judges 3 is a powerful, powerful thought there because when you are a child of God, your enemies cannot defeat you, they can only elevate you. So let's talk about it. Just some practical thoughts on how to deal with difficult people. First thing I see as I've looked through the scripture and as I've watched different leaders and I've watched even my dad who pastored this church for 30 years. You know, one of the things that frustrated me so bad about my dad was his ability to work with people that I would have kicked out of church. Like when I was younger, I was coming to my dad all the time like, this person, they don't even need to be here. Why in the world are you using them? He had this ability to get the best out of difficult people, people that I wouldn't have even allowed in my life. He's using them, and he's working with them, and I hated that. I was like, when I pastor a church, bless God. <laughs> Thank God. Are, are you thankful that God didn't let me pastor this church until I was ready to pastor this church? <laughs> There would be nobody in this room, including myself. Like, we would all just be at Cheddar's today, just chilling, watching pre-football shows and stuff. I mean, we've got to, first of all, we've got to learn how to stay calm. One of the most common graces on the life of people that I see that follow Jesus closely are, is, is there's a calmness to their life. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was really teaching his disciples about calmness, he used a storm. The Bible says that there was this one time the disciples were in a boat with Jesus and Jesus is sleeping in the middle of the storm and they're having a panic attack because everything around them is, is saying that the boat is gonna sink, that their life is gonna end. Well, Jesus is sleeping. Well, they don't think Jesus cares, so they wake him up and they're like, do you not care that we're about to die? And Jesus is like, why is your faith so small? Then the Bible says he speaks to the wind and to the waves and they obey him and everything gets calm. And everybody's amazed because Jesus knows how to calm all the exterior circumstances in my life. All of the stuff that's going on out there, Jesus knows how to calm it down. But that wasn't the lesson he was trying to teach. Why? Because he rebuked their faith. They had enough faith for him to get up, to wake up and calm the wind and the waves. But they didn't have enough faith to learn the real lesson. The real lesson was how to sleep in the middle of a storm. The real lesson is not calm on the exterior, it's calm on the interior that causes you to be different than everybody else. Because most of the stuff in your life only becomes a big deal if you make it one. 
And the reason we make it one is because we think we have to match the volume of the person that is being difficult with us. Like if our kids are, are, are getting on our nerves and they're raising their voice and, and we feel like in order to get control of the situation, we have to raise our voice. We feel like in order for us to, to really take control, we have to get louder or we have to get stronger or we have to get physically imposing. But I'm telling you, the most change that will take place in somebody's life is not when they see you match their tone, but when you begin to have this intercom on the inside that says, nothing I do really impacts them like I want it to impact them. I want them to get mad. And most people do what they do because they know how you're going to react to what they do. Man, it is quiet in here because that is good. <laughs> Sometimes when you get a lot of amens, it's because nobody is dealing with the thing you're talking about. But when it gets real quiet, you're like, oh, I'm the person losing my cool and yelling and hollering and trying to control and manipulate situations when the reality is, is I'm a follower of Jesus. I am, not, I am not the person who brings the anxiety into the room. I'm the person who relieves the anxiety in the room. I'm a lifter of spirits. I'm, I'm an anxiety reliever. I'm a hope dealer. I'm a life speaker. I'm a vision equipper. I'm an atmosphere changer. Have you ever had people in your life that when they walk in the room, everything just seems to settle down? That's an inner calmness that God wants you to develop when you are dealing with the difficult situations and people in your life. Proverbs 16 and 32 says, says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Yeah. Psalm 19 and 11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger. Look at your neighbor and say, you just need a little common sense. Just need a little common sense, just some good sense. It will make you slow to anger, and it is your glory to overlook an offense. We think that we're gonna be justified because we met you with a greater insult. I, my kids are so funny, like they try to burn one another and whoever has like the bigger burn is like the winner of the argument. It was like, oh, you look terrible this morning. Oh, well, you've looked terrible your whole life. You know, it's like everybody's trying to one up. So, well, your mama this, well, your mama that. You know, it's like everybody's trying to one up somebody. And God's like, to the person who can overlook the insults and overlook the negativity, you are mightier than a person who can take an entire city with the strength of your hand. If you can get control of your mouth, you're stronger than a person who has strength in their hands. Proverbs 15 and 18 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. There's, you're, you wonder, why do, why do all of our discussions end in arguments? Because somebody's stirring. Somebody's stirring it up. Somebody's taking everything said personally. Everything they say, oh, it's an insult. I'll, sh I'll show you. And God's like, can I get some people who are like, I don't need to show you. What I'm gonna do is I'm actually, I'm gonna show you, but I'm gonna show you how Christ would respond to how you're reacting to me, to how you're treating me, to how you're talking to me. Wow. It's how we start to begin to deal with difficult people. Because here's the thing, you cannot remove every difficult person from your life. Some of you are married to the most difficult person in your life. Some of you are raising the most difficult people in your life. Some of you work with the most difficult people in your life. And you keep changing jobs, but you realize every time you change a job, there's other people there. 
unless you start a business and work out of your basement and don't have to interact with anybody ever, you are going to have difficult people around you. So the best thing for you to do is not learn how to avoid difficult people, but learn how to work with difficult people. This is where Christ and his spirit in you gives you an, an advantage over the rest of the world. Because while the rest of the world is bickering and trying to one-up one another, you're just figuring out how can I come into this situation and be a person who sets the atmosphere, who changes people's mindsets, who lifts spirits to another level, who doesn't jump into the negativity, but stays over here in the positivity and says, hey, listen, there is a a better way. There is a better attitude. There is a better result that we're looking for. We don't all have to have to fight like everybody else is fighting. I told a friend one time, he, he's very, very uh, popular preacher in the country, and he kept finding himself in, in the news. Everything he did, he was finding himself in the news. And I called him one time, and I said, hey, man, can I, can I just give you some encouragement. I think God is trying to teach you a different way to fight. And the reason he kept finding himself in the news is because every, every time somebody wrote some sort of negative article or said something about him, he's responding on, with his Instagram. Now, this isn't like me responding with my Instagram. This guy's got hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram, and he's reacting. And I'm like, every time you take something that isn't newsworthy and you put your voice on it, you just made it newsworthy. So you're making something a big deal that isn't a big deal. And for some of you, there's stuff that's a big deal right now that didn't need to be a big deal, but you made it a big deal because you rose it to the level of a big deal. And that's just not a hill worth dying on. So stay calm. And it's not just like, hey, stay calm. No, you have the spirit of Christ on the inside of you. The spirit of the one who knows how to sleep in the middle of storms. Stop asking God to fix everything on the outside and start asking God to give me a peace, a calmness on the inside. Second thought is this, you gotta get above it because perspective is everything when you're dealing with people. I heard, uh, I heard Shaq talking one time, Shaquille O'Neal. I love Shaquille O'Neal. Um, I think he's one of the funniest people in the world. Like this week, I saw a video of Shaq and he's in a, he's in a wrestling uh, uh, cage or whatever with Charles Barkley. And uh, he's just throwing Charles Barkley all over this wrestling cage. I, I just love him. And, and really, every time he does an interview, I wanna hear what he's got to say because he's got some really interesting things to say. And one of the things he said when he was talking about how he deals with his critics, he, he was talking about perspective. And he was like, well, I learned that my critics are just earthlings. And I'm listening to Shaq and I'm like, Part of me is like, you better preach, Shaq. You know what I mean? Like, and then the other part is like, that's really arrogant, right? To all of you earthlings. Like, but what he was saying, he said it was a ma it's a matter of perspective. It's like, why would I get upset over somebody who's writing about basketball when I'm playing basketball? See, because most critics are people who couldn't do what you do. Because those that don't criticize those that do. Come on, somebody. And so Shaq is just like, they're earthlings. I'm up here, they're down here. I was like, wow, that's arrogant. And so I'm like, I wonder if I can find a verse for that that makes that a little bit more palatable than, like you just need to see all the people in your life as earthlings. Well, there is, there's a great one. Galatians chapter one and verse 10, Paul says this, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Humans, 
you're just humans. He said, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, what Shaq was saying is if I tried to please the people that wrote the articles about me, I couldn't do what I do. So I've got to see them as who they really are. You've got to see people for who they really are. They're just human beings. And nobody who didn't speak me into existence gets to speak me out of existence. You didn't cause me to be, so you don't get to cause me to not be. That's all. It's not that I'm arrogant like I'm up here and you're down here. No, no, we're all human beings. But you are just a human being. You are not God. And if I spend my life trying to please you and make you happy, I can't serve God anyway. At some point, you have to make a decision. Like, am I gonna serve God or am I gonna please people? Because you cannot do both. There's a lot of stuff in life you can do both of, but you cannot do both of these. You cannot please people and serve God, so you just have to make up your mind. If I'm gonna please God, that means I am going to displease some people. Is anybody in here displeasing a lot of people in your life? Somebody told me, listen, if you're not losing friends and you're not making enemies, then you're not following Jesus. You're not. It's, 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 you have to make a decision. Am I going to make you happy or am I going to make God happy? So I have to get above it. I have to realize, okay, I'm serving God. I'm, I'm, and all of their opinions are just the opinions of humans. So I get above it. I focus on, watch this, I focus on solutions and not problems. It's so easy to find issues. It's so easy to find problems because problems are so obvious. In this culture and day we live in where everybody's woke and everybody's like digging through your, your Twitter account to find something you tweeted 15 years ago to cancel you. We live in a culture that's just looking for the bad looking for a reason to hate you, looking for a reason not to like you, looking for something you said 10 years ago to disqualify you. It takes a true follower of Jesus to look for good. Proverbs eleven twenty seven. 27, it says, man, if you'll look for good, you'll find favor. But evil comes to the person who searches for it. When all you're looking for is bad stuff, then all that you're gonna get is bad stuff. God's like, if you wanna change the results, start looking for something different. And it's hard, it's hard to find good because good is not always obvious. Sometimes you have to dig deep for good. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're connected to some people right now and you've been in relationship for them for, with, for a while and you're still looking for something good. And, and, and it's hard to find. And sometimes the only good you can find in a person is in something bad they're doing right now. I had a friend one time and, and this friend was very, 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 very hateful. And they were very, very argumentative. And I thought, man, I'm looking for good, but I can't find any. I'm trying to find good, but I can't find any. And, and the Lord began to deal with my heart. He was like, look just a little bit deeper. And I was like, I think I've looked as far as I can look. Like, I don't have glasses that see that good. And I looked just a little bit deeper. And you know what I found out? As hateful as they were, as angry as they were, as mean as they were, they were committed to being hateful and angry and mean. And so I thought, if I can take them from being hateful and angry and mean and make them nice and good and kind, then I would still have that same commitment just going in a different direction. And so I thought, man, there is good. There's actually a person that's committed. It's the same thing that happened to Paul the apostle. He was once Saul, the murderer of Christians. 
The Bible says that even at his conversion experience, that he's actually traveling with letters in his hands, letters that are gonna condemn and kill Christians. And God arrests him and changes his life. Now, Paul didn't stop writing letters. He just started writing different kinds of letters. Is anybody thankful that God can arrest somebody and take what was a, a negative and turn it into a positive, something that was working against God and work it for God? I'm telling you, if you look for good, you can find it. If you look for it, you can find it. Philippians 4 and 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Here's, here's the thoughts. Stay calm. Get above it. Focus on solutions, not problems. And here's, here's something that we fail to do because many of us in this room are not confrontational. And so we just want everything to kind of be copacetic. We, don't, we want everybody to agree. We want everybody to get along. But one of the things that you're gonna have to do to deal with difficult people is to confront them quickly. A lot of the difficult situations in your life are the result of your inability to confront the relationships that you have. And so you've allowed people to do things and treat you a certain way for such a long time that now it's just become the common mode of operation for your relationship. Now manipulation is just a part of the relationship. Now hateful is just a part of the relationship. Now condemnation is just a part of the relationship. Now they're manipulating you and controlling you. And you're like, well, you know, we, I love them and, and you never confronted it. But I'm telling you, what you do not confront, you cannot change. You have to confront and sometimes you have to confront quickly. Sometimes you have to confront before it ever happens. Some of you are in relationships right now that if you would have just let the person know at the beginning what you wouldn't put up with, you wouldn't be putting up with what you're putting up with right now. Like when you get ready to date somebody or go out with somebody or whatever and you're having your first little meal there, I just need you to understand, hey, we're gonna have a conversation. I need you to understand that uh, you're not gonna be able to control me. Because at some point, you're, gonna, you're not gonna answer their text and they're gonna text you 20 times like, where are you, what are you doing, where are you, what are you doing? Who are you with? And you're like, gosh, this person is controlling, but I've already invested so much into the relationship. If you let people know up front what you expect of them, then you can easily confront them when they haven't met that expectation. But the reason some of you don't have any ability to confront in your life is because you are confronting people over what you never told them you expected of them. And confronting people over, over something you never expected them to meet is very difficult to deal with. It'd be like if, if your boss came to you and was like, hey, listen, uh, um, you know, I'm mad at you. Why? Well, you went home at five. You never told me I couldn't go home at five. That's what time everybody else goes home. Yeah. Have you ever had somebody confront you over an expectation they had for you that they never told you they had for you? So we've got to begin to confront people quickly. We've got to begin to tell people, hey, that type of behavior is not acceptable. Listen, we're a church where everyone, everyone, who comes, hey, you belong here. We want you, we want you to feel like you belong here. But if you begin to show destructive behavior, like you're hurting people or causing fear or manipulating people or controlling people, or you're a man and you're backing women up in corners. I saw it just recently here in our hallways. 
saw a man and he was having a stern conversation with a woman and she's backed into a corner and he's, and so I told, her, I told, I told my friend, I was like, uh, do you know this situation? And uh, he was like, no. I was like, um, if this doesn't stop, we're gonna have to show this guy what the right hand of fellowship yeah. is all about. Because at some point, you need to let somebody know, you're not going to push me into a corner. Like, you, you are not going to treat me that way. Like, I'm not gonna stay around long if you keep talking to me like that. Like, at some point, you have to let people know, there's an expectation I have for you if we're going to be in relationship. Like, you can't just keep cheating on me. I'm the wrong one. Like, you cannot, and, and we're, we're like, but I just want, you know, I just want everybody to get along, and I just want everything to just be cool and calm. I'm, I, no, 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 no. God never, God never expected you to just put up with abuse and manipulation and control. Listen, you can love those people and pray for those people, but you don't have to be in close proximity to those people. You don't have to be. So you've got to begin to confront things. And there are so many things that are wrong in your life because you're just afraid to confront. In 2019, for the rest of the year, and beginning in 2020, you've got to learn how to confront. Even though your voice is shaking, even though your, your heart is, is beating a thousand miles an hour, you've got to learn how to confront destructive behavior. You have to. Here's another thought. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Isaiah 54 and 17 says weapons are gonna form, but they're not gonna prosper. Voices are gonna rise, but every voice that arises, God's gonna defeat it. He's gonna condemn it. Look at that. No weapon formed against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is not something that you have to beg God to do. This is a part of your, her your heritage. This is, your, this, is, this is what God does for you because you are his. You don't have to, please God, take care of me. Please God, vindicate me. No, God will do this because you belong to him. So when you know that your God is who your God is, you don't have to fight some of the battles that you keep trying to fight. You don't have to chase down every person that comments negatively on your Facebook profile. You don't have to chase down every person that gave you a bad Google review. You don't have to run after people that unfollowed you and blocked you on Instagram. You just be who God has called you to be. Remember who you are. And every person that tries to take you down, remember that you serve the God who will vindicate you and take care of you and be a refuge for you and be a strength for you and fight for you when you can't fight for for yourself, fight for you when you don't even know you need to be fighting for yourself. There are a lot of fights that God has fought for you with people that you didn't even know were trying to attack you, and he stopped attacks from happening in your life that you didn't even know were coming. I'm just thankful for a God who takes care of me, so it causes me to remember who I am. I am a child of God. He loves me. He's for me. He's protecting me. He's guarding me. My name is safe with him got to remember who I am because when you don't know who you are, you sacrifice your purpose to please people because when I know what to do, why I am doing it, then I know what behaviors are needed for the outcome I desire and what relationships are needed for the outcome I desire. One of the things you need to make sure with people that you are entering into a serious relationship with is like, does this person fit into the vision that I have for my life? Do they fit into the vision that I have for my life? And I think it's funny in the culture we live in that the woman is supposed to always fit into the man's vision for his life. So women give up vision. As long as they meet somebody with some sort of vision, they give up their vision. That's not what God wanted you to do because you were not incomplete 
when you met them. You were a whole person with a purpose and a calling and a vision that God gave you. That doesn't, that doesn't, it doesn't, listen to me. If you are married or you never get married, mar being married doesn't make you more full. Being married doesn't make you more complete. A marriage should complement what God is doing in your life. But it doesn't complete you. You were a complete person when you were, when you were, <laughs> You were a complete person when God was frame, framing you and making you in the womb of your mother. You were a complete person. You didn't come out of the womb lacking something. You didn't come out of the womb like God was like, well, until you find the one, you'll never be whole and you'll never be full and you'll never have a purpose. God wants you to know if you never get married, you will fulfill purpose. There's a destiny for your life. He's got something that he wants to do with you. Come on, man. So sometimes you gotta remember who you are. When you forget who you are, you let other people define you. So now you're letting other people tell you who you are. And so many of these people in this room are bound by the expectations of others. And here's the problem. This is the same problem Moses had. Moses had this problem. He was trying to pursue his calling and his identity at the same time. And you can't do it. Because if you do that, you'll end up thinking that what you do makes you who you are. And when I say remember who you are, I'm not, and, I, and I say that to myself, I'm not saying, hey, you're a preacher, you're a pastor, you're anointed. No, if you take all of this away, take the crowds away, you take all of it, yeah. I'm still somebody. Why? Because I'm a child of God. And he loves me. And when you remember that, like, hey, you can have all of this. None of this makes me who I am. I'll go work at Ingalls tomorrow if I have to. None of this makes me who I am. I'll, I'll, I'll go wash cars tomorrow if I have to. None of this makes me who I am. I'll do whatever I need to to, to to make money and to survive, but none of that makes me who I am. You know what makes me who I am? It's that God loves me, God called me, God has a purpose for me, and when you don't think I have a purpose, and when you don't like me, and when you give up on me, guess who does it? The God who made me. And so I'm thankful today that when I remember who I am, I'm not remembering what I do, I'm remembering who I am. I'm, I'm God's child, whether I do this or not, whether I preach another message or not, whether the church grows or not. My identity is not wrapped up in this. My identity is wrapped up in who he says I am, without all of this. Whew, man. So I gotta remember that. I have to remember that. And then this last thought, I'm gonna share this with you. Some people you have to give them up. And, and this is what I want you to understand. I'm not talking about give up on them. I don't think it should be in the nature of a believer to give up on people. But some people you have to give them up. Because for some people, you think you're helping, but you're actually enabling. And God's trying to do something in their life, but you keep getting in the way. It's like, it's like in Numbers, the, the Bible teaches us that God got upset when all the people started acting crazy and Moses and Aaron fell on their face. God gets upset and he comes to Moses. He's like, Moses, I need you to get out of the way because I'm gonna take everybody out. And Moses is like, no, God, don't do it. He pleads with God to keep them in his life. And God's like, Moses, you should just let me take them out because they're not going into the promised land anyway. They're going to die in this wilderness, whether it's today or five years from now, they're dying here. Moses is like, no, no, I got them. I can take care of this. 
This was Moses' problem. Even his own father-in-law had to come to him and say, hey, Moses, you're trying to be the mediator. You're trying to be God for all of these people, and this is gonna end up taking your life prematurely. This was his problem. He kept trying to get in between God and the people. I got this. I got this. I'm good. I got this. They're fine. Don't. And the same people that he begged God to keep in his life became the people that agitated him so much that he missed out on the promised land. Instead of just giving them up to God. I'm gonna get out of the way because I'm not helping you. I'm enabling you. How do you know you're enabling somebody? I'm gonna give you four types of people you cannot help. First person you cannot help is this person. The person who doesn't think they need it. Because even salvation requires you acknowledging that you need to be saved. God cannot save a person who does not acknowledge that they need to be saved. You cannot convince someone to take medicine when they don't think they're sick. It's like, you need Tylenol, but I don't have a headache, okay? You, you need this allergy medication, but I don't have allergies. Okay, you just keep sneezing and buying Kleenex, that's cool. You do your thing. People that don't think they need it. Second person, people who know they need it, but don't want it. Watch this. The reason this happens is because everything that is bad doesn't feel bad. Y'all didn't want to say amen because you know that to be so true. You're like, that's true. And if I say amen, then I got to admit that that bad thing actually felt pretty good. And even the Bible says that sin is enjoyable or pleasurable for a season. Sometimes you have to get out of the way of that person and God because until you get out of the way, they won't get to the end of it. They know they need it, but they don't, they don't want it. It's like James, or I'm sorry, John chapter five, verse 38. Jesus comes to that man who had been in a condition that he was in, lame for 38 years, with the possibility of healing right in front of him for all of those years. Jesus comes to him and says, do you, do you wanna be made whole? Well, that's a dumb question to ask, isn't it? Like, I'm, of course, I'm sick, I wanna be, but do you? Or do you like what your brokenness, do you like the system that you've created or the structure that you've created around your brokenness? Do you like the comfort that your brokenness brings? Do you like the empathy that your brokenness brings? If I get whole, then who's gonna care about me like this? If I get whole, then who's gonna? Yeah. Third person is people who don't want it from you. Familiarity robs so many people of the favor of God in their life. It's like Jesus who came to his own town and they, they were like, wow, he's a great preacher. Wow, he's, a, he's powerful, but isn't that Mary's son? Isn't that the guy we grew up with? Some people don't wanna hear it from you. It's not that they don't wanna hear it. And this happens in church sometimes. Like I'll have somebody come in town and they'll preach a message and y'all will go crazy and revival will break out. And I'm sitting on the front row like, I've been saying the same thing for six months. And y'all didn't act like that. It's not that you didn't want to hear it, it's just that you didn't want to hear it from me. Familiarity, it robs you of favor because you become so comfortable with somebody's voice that, but I know what he's saying is true, but we grew up with this guy, like, come on. This last person is people who aren't willing to do what it takes to get it. 
Most people know what to do, they're just unwilling to do it. Most people know what to do, they're just unwilling to do it. They don't want it like you want it. They don't wanna change because they're afraid of what it would require. They're afraid of what it would take. They're afraid of how it would cause them to have to change. They're afraid of the relationships that it would affect. They don't wanna change. I'm too deep into this. I can't, I can't change now. I know what it would take to change and I'm just, can't help these kind of people. You have to give them up. How do I give them up? You pray for them. Ephesians chapter one and verse 18. And I know that it's like, uh, you know, everybody's got a problem with prayer nowadays. Something happens bad and it's like, you know, we offer our prayer and it's like, so much for your prayers. You know, but that's, that's an attitude that is so contrary to the word of God. I still believe prayer changes things and prayer has an impact. So whether you like it or not, whether you criticize me or not, I'm gonna pray. When something bad happens, I'm gonna pray. Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I'm praying that your eyes are open. I cannot open your eyes for you. I need God to do this. And so for God to do this, sometimes I have to get out of the way so I stop enabling this behavior and let God deal with you. God even gives people up. Now listen to me, God doesn't give up on people, but he gives them up. In Romans chapter one, the Bible says that there was a group of people there and they were in such perverse sexual sin that the Bible says God gave them up to their own desires. What God will do with somebody sometimes is let them get so far down that the only way is back up. So far into the darkness that the only thing they're looking for now is light. Have you ever, some of you have been there. Has anybody in the room just said, you know, God let me go so far. He gave me up to my own desires and I got so far that he was my only option. Sometimes God does that. He doesn't give up on people. He gives people up. So I'm gonna let you go so deep and so dark that your only option is gonna be to call on my name. We have to do that. We, sometimes we gotta get out of people's way so that they can hit the bottom. Amen. We stand with me? Matthew chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. Pretty cool, it says, says this, it says, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off of your feet. I'm not giving up on them, I'm giving them up. Watch this. He said, if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. Some of y'all, you left your peace somewhere and you need to go back and get your peace. Some of you moved here from another state and you left your peace in Texas. You left your peace in California. And you're hearing this new thing that God is doing in your life and you're like, I don't have any peace. That's because you left it back there. Some of you are in a new relationship and you have no peace. Why? Because you left your peace in the old relationship. That's why he goes on to say, when you leave that house or that town, shake the dust off of your feet. Because when you go into a new thing, I don't even want you to take the dirt from the old thing into the new thing. I don't want you to take any baggage into it, and I don't want you to leave your peace there. There are some people that you have left your peace with that did not deserve your peace, and you need to go get it back. Like it's in that old relationship, you need to take it back. And you keep waiting for that old thing to come back and God's like, no, the reason you're unsatisfied now is because you left your peace in that relationship. Get your peace out of there. Take it back. 
Does anybody in the room just need to take your peace back? And he says, and when you get into the new thing, before you get into it, make sure you have, you have beat the dust off of your shoes from the old thing. Because you will mess up, you, you will get dirt into a new relationship that doesn't exist in the new one. You will bring it from an old one. So when you leave an, when you leave an old thing, leave it. And come into the new thing with clean feet. And with your peace. Stop leaving your peace in the wrong place. And shake the dust off. You keep carrying that. You're not supposed to carry that. I said, I don't want you to leave something even as insignificant as dirt on your feet. I want you out. And I want you completely out. Because there's gonna be enough dirt in the new thing for you to bring the dirt from the old thing and the new thing combined. And now everything's just dusty and dirty. So Father, in Jesus' name, help us. Help us, God. Help us to learn how to deal with difficult people. They're not a, they're not a hindrance to us. They're actually elevation for us. Man, we don't have to cut anybody out of our lives. We don't have to. And we can, we can learn how to, how to deal with them. We don't have to give up on people. We can give people up to you. So Father, thank you. Thank you for teaching us how to, how to deal with difficult people. Let this word continue to, to marinate in our heart today. Let, let the seed of this word go deep into our lives so that we can see fruit from it in Jesus' name. Don't let this enter in on the surface and just stay on the surface, but change us, God, from the inside out.